0: Hello there, guys, and welcome to another episode of Genuine Chit Chat. This week, I am joined by Jack Thomas of the Just Conversations podcast. Now, some of your listeners may actually recognize the name Just Conversations Podcast for two reasons, one of which is because I've played their promo on this show before, and I will be playing it again shortly in this episode, but also I actually guested on an episode of the Just Conversations Podcast. It was out the 26th of September, 2020, and is episode number 4.09, and myself and Jack spoke for about two hours about the universe, God, divinity, and existence, that sort of thing. Of clarity, I am either an agnostic or an atheist. I kind of, it depends maybe on the day, but I don't actually necessarily believe there is a God. Um, but that's the sort of discussion that we get into. And this conversation, if I would recommend people go back and check out that conversation, you don't need to listen to that to understand this at all. We, I don't think we even reference it. But if you like this conversation, you're going to really, really like the one I have with Jack on his podcast because they're both two in the same. It's tackling very abstract ideas. So for clarity, this week is part one, and we speak a little bit at the start about the passive apocalypse and sort of left and right and the tribalism in America, but that isn't for very long. The conversation soon changes onto the main part of the conversation we want to talk about, which is whether the concept of good or evil actually exists. Uh, We also talk about the historic retelling of events that can alter perception, whether or not there's sort of intent can affect goodness of an action, the impact that religion has had on the perception of this, consciousness, heaven and hell, those sorts of ideas. And as I said, this is a very abstract. abstract conversation about things this is all just kind of mine and jack's opinions and some just ideas that we don't even necessarily believe in but just quite cool to discuss that's the kind of conversation that we're going to have here So guys, aside from that, I'm going to say that part two, as I said earlier, is going to be out next week on this very feed, but I've recently started a Patreon. Now, for clarity, Patreon, you basically pay a small amount of money and you get additional content. That's the short and the long of it. I'm going to give all the details and things at the end of this part one of the chat just to give you guys more information, so I'm not bombarding you with information in this intro, but I want to clarify that on that Patreon, as well as a new show that myself and Megan are doing each week, where it's called Afterthoughts, we talk about a movie or a series that we just watched. In addition to that, when I release part one and part two of episodes from now on i'm going to release the whole thing on patreon so if you listen to part one of this and you can't wait a week to listen to part two go over to patreon Uh, you can do it for as little as two pounds which i think is three dollars a month which is cheaper than one Starbucks a month. So if you're willing to give that kind of money, I would be very appreciative of that. There are a couple of tiers and whatnot, but basically if you give £2 a month, you'll get access to the new show me and Megan are doing, as well as whenever I release a part one and part two, you will get part one and part two in its own sort of episodes. So you don't have to wait a week and there's no splitting of the episodes or anything like that. So if that's something that interests you, check it out. The link is in the description and I'll give you guys more information about it at the end. But anyway, aside from that, I'm going to play the Just Conversations promo and then we're going to get into the chat. So really hope you guys enjoy that and I'll talk to you
1: at the end. Hey, I'm Jack. And I'm Christina. And we're the hosts of the Just Conversation podcast. A show where we critically think and discuss all sorts of exciting topics. From the big pressing issues like artificial intelligence, space exploration, and government takeovers. To the small ones like pollution in Pokemon, time traveling cat people, and the portal we found in my backyard. And we misinform all the time. Yeah, it's great. We're uncensored, politically incorrect, and childish. Catch us on ice. To Stitcher, Podbean, and all your podcasting apps. And remember to take nothing personal. It's just conversation.
0: Welcome to Genuine Chit Chat, where we have honest conversations with interesting people. And I'm your host, Mike Burton. I am here today with Jack of the Just Conversations podcast. Jack, I mean, it's great to have you on the show finally, because I came on your show. Uh, well, it came out a few months ago now, I think, but I, I kept it in my show notes and things for a while, and I'll be putting it in there again. So
1: how have you been? I've been great, man. Everything has been great on my end, as usual. And, uh, you know, living life, surviving the uh, the elongated, gradual, slow-burn apocalypse. <laughs> the passive apocalypse. Yes, it's the most boring apocalypse. We, we always wish we could have some zombies. We always wish for an alien invasion. We always wish for things that clearly the universe uh, has a sense of humor and gave us the slowest burning possible.
0: It is one of the things that our generation uh, in a lot of ways not necessarily hopeful, but kind of in jest would hope for could it kind of be like yeah you know we had the zomb- the, the sort of uh, the renaissance of the zombies you know especially all the movies and The Walking Dead and that sort of jazz and it was always the, the apocalypse stuff around the sort of late 90s and early 2000s it was just the the big films that were always in with a you know um, the very apocalyptic ones and I think that comes a lot with us as, as a generation and we kind of were like yeah let's wouldn't it be cool if there was a zombie apocalypse or the world would end or finally you know capitalism would fall and that sort of that's what sort of, you know anarchistic ideas and stuff and then it's like here, here you go everyone just is quite ill and a serious bit amount of people are dying from it but it's not like it's not like Ebola so it's like it's, it's not that manic it's something more low-key it's still very scary and dangerous and things but it's like even the fact we're in a pandemic the actual covid itself isn't yeah. as an air quotes dramatic as so many you know with the other pandemic films you've got people like bleeding yeah. all their orifices and screaming or you've got like
1: 20 days later i mean it's 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 strange because most of us don't even get to see it we only passively hear about it we don't see people passing out in the streets vomiting <laughs> their guts out manic rampant running from one side to the other as we try to avoid the infected now we just hear they're in the hospitals are over flooding the end
0: <laughs> yeah basically and don't let you know grandma or anyone with an immune disorder go near anyone and then yeah yeah masks masks over here are fairly like one thing i do find weird uh, about america because i've got a few other mates who are in america and we've sp- spoken uh, a little bit about the lockdown that sort of jazz is that over here there's a very 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 small amount of people who don't wear masks there's not that many and they don't really seem to make much of a fuss they, they just often quietly go in public places where you're meant to and don't wear it and that's really it you've just got the majority that wear it and then a few that don't and that's about it but in america it's this big political thing of whether or not you wear a mask and it's it's so baffling over here looking over because it's like it, if it even does nothing it's such a tiny inconvenience
1: yeah what yeah, difference yeah. does it make you know the, the problem with that is that it was politicized by uh, Donald Trump because he associated it with being a Republican and fighting for your liberties as though your rights are being violated by being told to wear a mask. <laughs> and uh, I'm not sure how exactly the thoughts associate. I don't understand really, like really, really, I have no idea how this came to be. It's, it doesn't make any sense when you really, like, think about it. But they, they thought it made sense and they rolled with it. it it's pretty weird.
0: Like, just it does baffle me constantly in America where just the uh, – it's just the politi- polit- politicization. The, I'm using terrible English here, but how politicized everything becomes of uh, – especially with – uh, Not to get into, like, a massive political uh, discussion necessarily, but it is just strange that over here, like, people who are more left-leaning or more right-leaning in England generally just accept climate change as a thing. Like, the Conservatives are in power at the moment. They are doing things to try and reduce climate change and tackle, uh, like, uh, pollution, that sort of thing. Not as much as people on the left would, but, like, they still do it. Whereas... It, it's not an argument of whether or not it's a thing it's just how much money you put into it whereas over in america it's like a lot of people on the far on the right especially are like no i can't you can't believe in climate change if you're on the right because it's a political ideology rather than just this is the, the science is saying this is what it is yeah yeah
1: uh the problem that we have in the u.s is this massive division between the okay nobody wants to listen to anybody, right? <laughs> so you have this consistent problem of we can't listen to each other. Additionally, that means that the people on the left who tend to lean more towards a scientific mind and the people on the right towards a more traditional conservative mind, uh, they think that those values are political and they think it's centric to the side you're on. Hmm. So if I am a conservative... And the left leans mainly towards science. I can't do that because that's against my identity. Mm. And this creates a problem that uh, I was just having a. I don't know if you've ever heard of Kakao Talks. It's a Korean uh, messaging app. Mm. It's sort of the Instagram of S- South Korea. And I, I think, use that think because I've heard has, about it. Yeah, it's really good. I use it because it has chat rooms as well as text messaging and stores and like a million things. They use that app for everything. And there's a philosophy group I'm in in there that brought up this very question as to why the United States has this ongoing problem. And my response to the question was that the needing to divide what you're interacting with led to a situation in which one side is unwilling to learn from the other side. And we have a divisiveness that's created one-sidedness. We have scientific-minded people who think Traditional values are irrelevant and useless, and so we can't have religion, we can't care about people's emotions, we can't, like, that's why they eat each other in the left so easily. Somebody Mm. said something wrong, destroy them. Yeah. The right is so traditional, they don't think Anybody should be held accountable because we stick together no matter how much of a monster you are. And because our beliefs are so together, we must always follow these traditions and science is moving away and we can't do that. So a divisiveness in which the science minded don't think traditional values matters and those with traditional values don't think that scientific mindsets matter created a problem a huge problem that even bled into the political system when it has nothing to do with politics. It's entirely based on the view the individual has. But this problem just kind of self-perpetuates and it seems to have no end in sight.
0: Hmm. I kind of visualise it in a sense of almost where you had some sort of flat ground and you had some people on the left side of a line and people on the right side of a line and then quite a lot of people in the middle. And then what's seeming to happen is that the middle ground is starting to sort of crack open and become like a pit. And then one of each of the sides are kind of raising... Like, sort of tipping almost. So, that the, the way to get from one to the other, from one side to the other, is becoming so much more difficult where one platform is going higher than the other and the cavern in the middle is opening up. It's just, there seems to be less and less space for sort of centrists and middle ground ideas. It's more so nothing falls in the middle anymore. It, it just, it has to be. Oh, yeah, for sure, for sure. Other.
1: That idea makes perfect sense because if you're not with us, you're against us, and that applies to either side. So, if you're a centrist, you're against both sides and nobody wants you.
0: Yeah, that's the problem, and it is that very much tribalism with the, you, the sort of us-versus-them sort of mentality. And um, sort of leaning into that in some ways is something I want to speak with someone. I've had this noted down on in my uh, in my old notebook, because I've got a new notebook now, huzzah. Um, I've got uh, some sort of just things I want to generally talk about on the podcast that I was just like, I want to talk to someone who is very interesting to talk to and has some perspectives that I want to hear. And the way you just articulated what's going on with the left and the right in America is spot on. So amazing uh, with that. So I want to tackle the concept of good and evil, because it's something that I've just been wanting to kind of vaguely talk about for a while. So just with that, there's several little sort of uh, things we can come off from that in itself. But when, if someone says the concept of good and evil, what's the first sort of thing you kind of generally think of in a way?
1: The first thought that comes to my mind, uh, referencing that same uh, philosophy group that we've had this very conversation in weeks long, mm-hmm. um, I have completely landed on the idea that there is no such thing as evil. There is only our sort of thought about what could be evil. And I always like to, you know, get as edgy as possible when I talk about it by just mentioning our ultimate concept of evil which is uh hitler obviously mm. we go to hitler and everybody's like he's evil but then i just bring up the question can you prove that and it gets shaky immediately for example we we have to first define evil right and so in order to know what it is we can chalk off the things that it's not so is evil an action well no because you can have an action and the motivation was good so if somebody's suffering for example you you put somebody in a hole and you torture them forever Well, that's evil. Well, what's evil? The motivation, the, 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 the want, the desire to do it or the doing it part? Mm. Because what if a person landed in that hole and I couldn't get them out, but inevitably they end up suffering and it it wasn't my fault. I want to get them out, but I can't, but it's my fault. They're in there. Is it still evil or is it an accident? Mm. So now it's an accident. Okay. So it can't be that the action is evil. So is it motivation that's evil? Is the motivate well, what's propelling that motivation? Let's say I want to hurt a bunch, Let's. I wanna hurt all the Jews, I'm Hitler, right? Okay. Is he evil or is he reacting to something that happened to him? Because the United States shafted Germany for quite some time before that even happened. So he's reacting to what he thinks is actually right. He's not actively doing something that he thinks is bad. He thinks this is the right way to take, okay. So that can't be evil because his motivations are good and he still did something we consider evil. So as long as we keep removing things, we eventually land at the idea that evil can't possibly exist with the best example being God himself. We use God as a measurement for what's good and evil, but God's, own, if if we were to have a concept of evil, we'd have to measure it through God and say God himself is evil, which is problematic for a being that's supposed to be pure goodness. It's sort of conflicting that somebody would opt into, well, I know all the information in the world, but I'm still going to punish you for what I planned for you to do in the first place. Mm -hmm. So is that evil? And so we have all these kind of problems that prevent evil from being a concept that could exist.
0: Mm. I mean, that's a very good way of putting it, because I kind of have come to a similar sort of conclusion. And, you know, we're using the Hitler thing. It's exactly as you say. It's, the problem is, if you look at Hitler, now, neither of us are saying that committing mass genocide in any form is good. But the thing yes. is, is that if you go on Hitler predating those sort of, uh, let's call them the more intense times. Before that, he got a Germany out of a recession, which was like worse than... Almost, I think I think Roosevelt was the only person who's managed to get a country out of recession that was that bad that quickly in that amount of time. I think it was Roosevelt and might have been another American president. Um, but he got him out of the hyperinflation crisis in no seconds flat. He was a very good leader in that way. That's how he got to the position of power. Now, I'm not saying the genocide was worth getting out of the inflation crisis because that's ridiculous. But the fact is that, at least at the start in that way, it wasn't everything he was doing, even if you think that everything he was doing prior is evil. He still did something good Because he was trying to do, as you kind of, uh, when you sort of spoke about it, it goes into he was trying to do the best for Germany. And although murdering Jews is a horrendous horrendous act to do, especially on the scale that he did, him thinking that it was the best thing to do, if, like this is a horrible thing to think about, but if, say, the world had changed, something was different and that was the case, and this history was, say, that that had happened and then Germany became the power of the entire world or something like that, and exterminated all the Jews, which is a horrendous, awful thought, they would write history in a way that would be like that was a good thing. Now, from then that perspective of the modern era, which, um, you know, maybe America haven't committed necessarily the same level, excluding the Native Americans. Like, that, that's quite a good parallel in that way, which is one sort of thing I've heard from history is, you know, um... Good and evil is just who won who won the wars and who writes the history books. Because yeah. it's only been until the last few decades uh, in America where it's been really viewed that, you know, Columbus Day and stuff was full of atrocities because of the genocide of people and all the sort of other things that go along with that. So it is sort of history definitely alters the perception of what good and evil actually is depending on who's writing the history books and who...
1: Well, here's what's interesting about that. Here's what's interesting about that. That's assuming that a person's perspective on the concept of evil is accurate, and then we have to assume that a collective view on the same thing is even more accurate, which just getting people to agree on the definition is not, right? So if we were to say evil alone, and we were to say that the situation that happened with uh, World War II is evil. Well, what was evil about it? Which part? Okay, so they wrote in history, well, it was bad, but was it evil? Hmm. I've come to learn that the concept of evil is ideological to the point that it's not even your intention, but sort of the lack of intention, if that makes sense. Hmm. So you can't wake up one day and say, I'm going to do something bad because I like it Mm -hmm. because that's not evil because your motivation is you like it. You're looking for pleasure. Mm -hmm. There's something fueling what you're looking for and the search for what you love. We all do that all the time. It might uh, show itself in a way that's bad and you're doing something bad to please yourself. But is it evil not necessarily i've come to think of the concept of evil as doing something bad for the sake of doing something bad like you can't even really do it because you enjoy doing it but simply because you're doing it Hmm. and like what example for that exists other than a deity that would do it knowing every possible outcome and still deciding to punish something that he laid out There'd be no other possible scenario. You could decide I'm going to go torture a whole family because I get off on doing it. Well, no, now you have the motivation of getting off on doing it. There's something pushing the action. Hmm. It has to be evil for the sake of evil. Cause anything that, so saying that in the people who won the war got to write what was evil, they might've called it evil, but they're wrong because they're not talking about something evil. They're talking about the side that lost, essentially.
0: Mm, no, exactly. And, and it is also, even when you think of like in a lot of biblical terms, you know, the devil is one who's considered evil, but he punishes those who are bad. So it's like, but is that is that a net good thing? Like, sh- is that not something that – like in, in a lot of the religios- uh, religious texts, especially the Abrahamic ones – some of them, more so Christianity, and Catholicism, there is the heaven and there's the hell. So it's like, you do good, you get rewarded, you do bad, you get punished. But it's like, that's, I think, where a lot of the idea of good and evil came from. Because, you know, if you turn it slightly and you say, like, what is the concept of good? It's like, well, there's that huge argument of like, when you do something nice, it feels good to do that nice thing. You get the sense of, I don't know, just goodness, morality, whatever you want to call it. It's just, it feels good to do nice things, you know? But I
1: disagree that in itself being good because that's selfish, trying to plead, yes, exactly. Exactly, so good isn't almost. good almost. So that's the weird yeah. thing. It's pleasure, it's the same as bad. If it's motivated by something, it's just bad. It's not evil. It, it, it. So they both have to be self-fueled to even exist. In order for something to be good, it has to be good regardless of how you felt about it you should be able to do something good because it's good even if you feel bad doing it Mm
0: -hmm.
1: and that's a weird situation and talking about the devil particularly what a weird one to call evil versus the god who actively punishes good people when the devil's entire Lucifer, let's not say the devil, because that's a weird other problem of language (laughs) that took place over time. But Lucifer's entire argument was, how are you better than any of us if we're all just beings that exist? We should be equals, not you superior and I just bow and take punishment because you felt like it when you designed the universe with perfect knowledge. The existence of Lucifer in its own was an intention of Jehovah how weird to then turn around and punish him for something you designed the universe for him to do.
0: Mhm. Well, that's one of the bigger issues I've had with a lot of with a lot of religion in a way of having that sort of, oh, you know, it's God's plan or God does this or God does that or it's more so the infallible side of things when you're like you can't argue with, with that side, you can't argue with that. It's just like there are holes in it it doesn't mean that you can't take good things and positive things from religion and whatnot it's more just like the basic general lessons of most religions are positive it's just that when you get into people arguing about the details or enforcing interpretations of things and crushing people's human rights and that sort of stuff once you get into that realm it becomes very messy but you strip it all back and it's meant to be good and it's the same with the the concept of good and evil the heaven and hell the idea of it is just meant to be look, don't be bad don't be a piece of shit because if you are then bad things will happen to you and I think uh, Buddhism if I'm correct that's got the idea of sort of karma and you do like positive things and I don't know if I'm getting my you're you're much more (laughs) knowledgeable about uh, that sort of side of things what would karma fall under
1: karma i'm not sure it's more of a spiritualism thing because buddhism itself doesn't really have karmic uh, response Hmm. buddhism kind of says you are everything so you wouldn't be punishing yourself in buddhism karma lays in a more of a spiritualism if you think zodiac type of things if you think uh, spiritualism magic that kind of thing karma is the universe responding to your behaviors directly so the same way that you can put things in a bowl and alter the universe by chanting a couple of times, the universe can respond to things you've done negatively.
0: Hmm. I see. Yeah. So in that sort of that realm of, of thinking with karma and with heaven and hell, they are generally similar interpretations of the same thing. You know, it, it's just generally speaking, it's just be good. Good things will happen. And, it, and it's that is how I think humans have tried to define good and evil because they, it's kind of goes back to when, Laws were being created, so say civilization became more civilized, and like language became more complicated and things. It wasn't very easy to just be like, "Oh, don't do that." Why do I not want to do that? Because of this. Well, what if I want this? It it becomes easier just to go, like don't do that. It's evil." What do you mean, it's evil? Yeah. Evil, you burn in hell. And if that happens,
1: and that's but kind then, like, of like a good full stop. Well, here's an interesting uh, way to look at this. There's a philosophy that uh, claims that there's a perfect something. For everything, and everything is an estimation of that perfect something, right? Mm -hmm. So, like, why do we know that a dog's a dog if there's dogs of different sizes, different shapes, different hair lengths, different head size? Because there's this perfect something that is the middle ground of what all the dogs are. Mm. So, the same idea would apply to the concept of evil, and that in a transcendent kind of way, there is the ultimate evil that does exist, but not it can't physically exist in our way of being, in our dimension of 3D existence. But there's a perfect something. And when we say evil, we're kind of referencing that indirectly because we can't touch that. But all the sort of estimately close, similar kind of sort of might be things are what we're referring to as evil. Mm.
0: And yeah, the same of good, isn't it? Because you've just got this sort of archetypes of good. Everyone, well, rel- a lot of individuals, especially in the Western world in both, uh, you know, America and in England, it's sort of when you think of it, good, pure, perfect. I don't know about you, but I think of angels, God, you know, that's sort of in air quotes yes. God. It's just, I'm not a religious individual. But if you tell me what's the ultimate goodness, I would just think of an angel without even trying to think of anything. That's just what's been drummed into me with that concept of good. So it's, it's just sort of bouncing off what you were saying.
1: Yeah, 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 because it's like the perfect Uh, When you Mm -hmm. think of good, perfect, good You think of that sort of celestial Perfection And then everything else is kind of sort of like it And that's Sort of the biggest problem with staying On the whole fucking religion angle of this We kind of lean a bit into The Jesus problem with that, right? Because he's Here and present Allegedly, you know, he was here, he walked The earth or whatever And Was he pure good, or was he as close as you can get without being?
0: Mm. Maybe that's sort of almost to get, almost sort of, he got to, less uh, to put a number on it, which is not something one can do in this sort of situation, but to kind of visualize it, almost, he was as close to 100% you could get, which is say 95%. But if he became 95.1, he, the turning of the page of the, F- metaphysical and physical aspects of being good would be impossible to be in that form in some sort of weird me- weird
1: way because you have to become almost like a force to become that level oh of oh my good. god you just blew my mind okay here's a way to think about that bouncing off of what you're saying the as if you're trying to travel the speed of light f- for every mile per hour you're trying to increase it requires way more energy Mm -hmm. So every mile per hour, you more and more energy, more and more energy. And then when you're at 99.99% the speed of light to finish that 0.01%, you need an infinite amount of energy in order to match the speed of light. It would be impossible. It would take too much. If we say at one mile per hour, the page turns per second, but at 10 miles per hour, it turns per minute. Mm-hmm. eventually you have a page that's stuck turning through infinity just to get to the last side of that page. And you'll never make it to that side because it's impossible. You'd have to not physically exist mm-hmm. to make it that far.
0: Yeah. And that going with exactly what you're saying is, I think the concept of maybe pure good or even pure evil in that sense, it because it's both an idea and can be done by, you know, it's a combination of sort of maybe if, if these things exist, it is a combination of say, motivation but also what you actually do with it but in in all the sort of layering of it because it becomes such a um such a mixture between the physical and the metaphysical as you say that to become a hundred percent of it is just impossible it's that sort of uh what's the idea where you can kind of if you keep fractioning something or keep halving it like um you 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 get one and then you half that and it becomes half and it becomes infinite you could you could if you add on that was it if you get yeah, one the turtle and you versus add on the hair a, yeah if you if you add on a half constantly you will never ever get to the end because if you half of whatever it is you're on it's that sort of idea that you can never yeah, get there now because that's the, the hole yeah it's the infinite hole
1: yeah well what's interesting about that is if you use the system of the hermetic principles it quite explicitly says that there's no such thing as good or evil Mm -hmm. right off the bat it says that everything is uh centric it's the middle everything is just the middle and all you're doing is labeling opposite extremes right Mm -hmm. so if you look at uh male and female they're both just human Mm -hmm. you know they're both people they're gender you're talking gender when you say male or female you say up or down that's just too like when is up if you're up is there a new up yeah there's new up you you made it to the up now there's a new up if you go down more well there's new down from where you currently are you're just labeling different extremes and in the case of good and evil you could just say that there's neutrality but if you only had evil but didn't have good is evil evil or is that just the middle
0: Yeah, that's a good point. And the same with good. If everything's exactly. pure and good, if there's never any bad, then how could anything truly actually be good if nothing's bad?
1: Because you're comparing it to something. You mm. need the opposite to compare it to. Otherwise, if everything was always good, that'd be normal. And you'd just be judging what's gooder than that good being good and what's slightly less good than that good, but might still be good. Now that's a new evil because it's just, you have a baseline and all you're doing is measuring from the middle.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: And that, that's one of the
0: issues that I've always had with the concept. Like I went to Catholic primary school. So that was from the age of five to the age of 10 or 11, I think it is. And my parents, neither of them are especially religious. They're both agnostic. And my secondary school, the which would be your guys, uh, middle school and high school, that was just atheist, just well, or no, no religion. Um, and I just remember when I was younger in school and things, my big query, even when I was like sort of nine, getting towards sort of the end of that sort of school, I was like nine or ten years old. I remember thinking, I was like, but I don't understand heaven for two reasons. One, I don't understand eternity, but also because I don't understand how you wouldn't get bored of things, how you could, how everything could just be perfect. How How could you actually not only how could you possibly live in a world where everything is perfect, what so I can make the ideal living space, but if I go to stub my toe, instead of stubbing my toe, I get an orgasm. Is that how perfect it becomes because you can never be pain or like, obviously I didn't think that exact thought when I was 10. Well, I actually
1: went through exactly the same problem. That was sort of one of my initial jumping off points when uh, sort of looking into religion, it was sort of the, the fact that heaven doesn't make sense. And literally starting as you just described with, this sounds boring as hell. And like, all right, so I die and I go to heaven and all the, the these concept of sin ceases to exist. All right, so I live a life of sin because we're human according to religion. Everything you do is sin. So do you mean I get to heaven and I don't remember anything? I'm a blank slate now. Okay, then... What's the point of the heaven reward if I won't remember that I earned it? Mm-hmm. And the same thing with hell. So I go to hell and I suffer forever. But do I manage to retain the life I lived? Is that the more ideal? Yeah, I suffer forever. But then let's think of the concept of forever. If you suffer forever, then that's the normal. You're no longer suffering and you manage to keep your memory. What the hell? Mhm but you also are there forever. How long before your memory is there such a small fraction that you experience? You're here 100 years, but you spend trillions and trillions and trillions. Does now even matter when you're there? Even in heaven, you, you live a perfect life for 100 years and you go to heaven. Who gives a shit a trillion years from now <laughs> when 100 years was such an instant blip that it does not matter? You don't care. It never mattered. Even if you had perfect memory of everything that happened, do you give a shit? Mm.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's a very interesting idea because I've thought of the sort of idea of eternity and things, but not with identity and memory. Because, yeah, surely, I I wonder if, in theory, if you put all humans eventually on some sort of in heaven for eternity, if they'd all kind of end up in the same place. Like, have you seen the, um, there's a Netflix show called The Good Place. Have you seen it? Yes, the whole thing. It is phenomenal i love it and i yes. think if anyone's seen it I, re- I really recommend it it's made by uh michael sure um he's the one who made where well, he co-created brooklyn 99 he made parks and recreation he co-created the office he's produced master of none he plays Moes in uh, the u.s office that is he- he's incredible and he's um done lots of other cool stuff that show of his first couple of seasons i was like this is amazing this is so clever but that last season brought up so many genius questions of like the whole idea of it there's kind of a spoiler for people uh listening but in some way i'll try not to delve into the specifics of good place but there's a, there's a concept that comes out of it which is if you go to eternity and and you go to heaven if you if there's nowhere else to go you just won't enjoy anything because you'd be there be able to get anything you want all the time so much it would just become numb but if you enter some sort of exit strategy to be able to end your existence by maybe becoming one with the universe or something like that, then you've always got that next thing to to look forward to, which makes now meaningful.
1: Yes. Yes. It's, it's sort of the, the concept that the ride is what matters, not the destination. Mm. So if you have a future destination that isn't where you're currently are, where you're currently are matters because you're going to do things. You're going to want to do things. If Where you currently are is infinity. Well, I don't have to do anything because I'll have forever to do it whenever. But if eventually I can enter the next place, I'm going to actively do everything I want here because I want to get over there, but I don't want to miss out on things here. And so now purpose has been established because another place that you can't come back from has been offered. And you got to maximize this experience before the next experience. Mm -hmm. And that's basically the concept of heaven.
0: Yeah, except with heaven, there's not that explicit mention of the thing after that. That's kind of – that's the end point. And it is just – because I've always thought, I was like, oh, what would I do if I went to heaven? And I'd be like, well – I would watch every single film ever. I would watch probably every TV series ever. I'd listen to all albums ever, which would take some unknown, stupid amount of time. But if you're there forever, You'll then as you say, yeah, there's never, there's not even a proportion. Because if I spent mine, if I just consumed all media that humans are ever going to create ever, if I just spend that amount of time again, it means that only half of my life has been consumed by that stuff. If I have infinite, it only takes a certain amount of time before that infinity becomes, as you say, that almost blip of it's just like zooming out constantly, isn't it? Of just like you zoom out so much and much, and much. It's just like, yeah, you'd run out of things to do. Even And in hell, being tortured forever, you, how, how could you be tortured forever? What, you peel my skin off forever? I'm on fire forever. There would just be a point. Where it just, that it's normal you wouldn't yeah it would be the normal as you said it'd be like you either wouldn't feel it anymore or you'd go that would be fine and then what do, do, can you start enjoying hell it, it, does that would that become a thing like you enjoy the lesser well, tortures more. when it
1: comes to the torture <laughs> uh specifically i i had a theory that so you experience so much pain forever your coping mechanisms become astounding right so let's say some rule of the physics that create hell says you could legitimately suffer forever and never adjust, right? So you legitimately never adjust to the fact that you're suffering. The fact that you're down there with full awareness says consciousness transcended the physical body, meaning your conscious mind is what's getting tortured because your body died up here. Mm-hmm. In that case, your conscious mind is a thing independent of body. And as you're getting tortured, your coping mechanisms would become so powerful that you could tune out of the torture and collapse into your own conscious mind, generating your own universe and being the god within your own conscious existence. To say that the global consciousness could be that experience and that we are just existing in this global consciousness system in which something is in hell being tortured and generated the universe we're in as it collapsed into itself.
0: Mm. I mean that, that is obviously as an interesting theory and it could it's one of those nice theories. It's it's one of the ones I like because my favorite theories are the ones where I could say that could definitely be the case and it but it also could not be and and that is the, the the good way of wrapping it up rather than having like sort of big the one of the reasons i love speaking with you so much and, and listening to your podcast and stuff is just just discussing ideas of what could be like there's so many things like i, I think i can't remember we vaguely spoke about it um when i came on your show but just like simulation theory like it's such a cool idea to me because i i don't necessarily believe we are in a simulation but if you listen to the logic behind it then, in theory, by probability, we are we we almost certainly are in a simulation. But yes, regardless weird, of whether or not, yeah, it's like well, if people don't know if for uh, listeners, it's basically if there is a reality that could create a simulation by say in in this reality, say we're hundred years away from making a perfect simulation that is so perfect that you couldn't be able, you wouldn't be able to tell if you're in a simulation or not. Well, if they created that a machine created that, they'd obviously create more than one. They'd probably have to create millions upon billions upon god knows how many the supercomputer to be able to make the perfect one or they would just need to to work out who knows what sort of reasoning they would need yeah. to do but if you just think of almost like in the really small key a video game creator makes 10 well that means that there are 11 realities there's the one that it's got the, the visual uh, the virtual realities within it and then there's those other 10 so if you think if there's only 11 in existence by probability Statistically, it's only 1
1: 11, so we're probably actually not the ones who are in exactly. it. Exactly. It's way less likely. Not only that, but if you were to create a perfectly flawless, undetectably different simulation, you should be able to, within the simulation, recreate everything that's within the actual physical existence that created it. So within the simulation that's perfect and created a perfect simulation you should in theory be able to create your own perfect simulation because it's perfect Mm -hmm. so you should be able to do what was possible in simulate in the reality that made you which includes creating a simulation and if you follow not just the fact that base reality could have made an infinite number of simulations but if any of them are perfect, every single one of those perfect ones then should in theory have the same possibility and capability of creating a perfect simulation. And then you follow that train of thought, there's an infinity versus one.
0: Hmm. Exactly. If you can create a simulation that is perfect, it can then in theory, create another simulation that's perfect and therefore infinite. And it's just that thing of, is it likely that we are the only universe not getting into parallel universes or anything like that just that one idea and it's like well statistically speaking no I mean I like to think we're probably not in the simulation but sometimes you see things like me and uh, me and my girlfriend Megan we were walking out uh, when was it it was the other day it was, it was no it was probably two months ago now I think it's before Christmas we just went for a walk with our friend and walked through this um sort of nature reserve and things and we saw this bird that was flying but it was literally complete, There's no wind. It was completely still in the air with its wings out, not moving at all. It wasn't going up and down slightly or anything. It was literally dead still. And we looked at that and we all looked at each other and we're like, has that, has that bird glitched? And it was like it for a while when we were staring at it. And then it suddenly just they moved again. But we were looking at it for about 30 seconds. Now, I do yeah. not believe that the reality we live in has necessarily glitched. But it's quite fun to think, if we are in a simulation, that is... That is a good, I can't explain that.
1: (laughs) Oh no, that's definitely easy to explain. The bird was gliding on the air pressure that was coming towards it. That means at a high enough altitude, there was wind you weren't feeling. Mm -hmm. And the bird was just tilted up enough to have that pressure push it back while its forward momentum meet at equal intervals and it just stays in place. Yeah, exactly. And from a point of view away, it does look really weird. Like there's just, the bird stopped moving. But that's really unique. Now, you mentioned uh, uh, multiple universes, Mm -hmm. which I find completely interesting that you could have, uh, sticking to the video game metaphor, any other game would be an alternate universe. Mm -hmm. And the easiest way to think about that would be, let's say you have the Witcher Mm -hmm. and you have Grand Theft Auto. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Now, you, Mike, owns both these games and you could go and play some Grand Theft Auto and then go turn that off and put on some Witcher, that is a parallel version of you from a different game in a different universe, experiencing different scenarios. If you were to tell somebody in Grand Theft Auto that you are a higher being, They would just think you're crazy. I'm in a higher dimension and I just jump in here randomly. Sometimes it's not even me. Sometimes my girlfriend takes over and I'm behaving differently. And that's because a different conscious mind is running me. (laughs) And how weird of a multiverse is that? And if you think of, for example, we think of dissociative identity disorder, right? Somebody's just roaming the street. They snap and now there's suddenly somebody different. And it's like, what the fuck is happening? Your behavior is different. You say your memories are different. What are you talking about? You're still the same body. How do we know that somebody just didn't pass the control and it's like the little brother playing the game instead?
0: <laughs> That's an interesting idea. There's that, that kind of rolls into the idea of free will and, uh, free will and determinism. That's a, a sort of idea that like no one has free will. We have the illusion of free will. But if you the easiest way I kind of uh, rationalize it to explain to people is if you got a computer and you basically got it to absorb all conceivable information about oneself, both uh, with nature and nurture, so all of your genes and everything like that and the history of your entire family mixed with every experience you've ever had up to a point from every conceivable way you would interpret that information – If you got a computer strong enough to do that and you had the information and the data to back up, you could then in theory predict someone's next moves in by the sheer amount of information you've got. You could work out probabilities of someone doing something. Yeah. If you have that sort of idea, well- in theory, then we don't choose to do any of those things. Like it, I, I'm not saying, like me, me having a strong work ethic, I think, oh, I got that from my dad. My dad had a strong work ethic and he was a successful individual because of that. But also, maybe there's a gene which made me like that. But I, I don't wake up in the morning and choose to have motivation necessarily or choose to be hardworking. I've just got this kind of vague push and the inside of me making me kind of do stuff like some people call it intuition the voice in your head whatever it is who's to say that isn't as you say, like just some person controlling you like the sims or something like that just you think it's your own thought making you think that when it's just someone else inputting commands
1: isn't that weird because you'd have to argue that it is your own thoughts simultaneously as as much as it's not it is and it's weird because For example, your character in Grand Theft Auto could not behave without it, but your character in Grand Theft Auto is you. It's not somebody else. You could put the control down and leave and nothing is happening. So it's both you and not. it's an estimation. It's a fraction, a slice Mm -hmm. of who you are, but it's not really who you are. And it's sort of, if you think of uh, the breakdown of dimensions, right? So you're standing outside and you see a shadow. That shadow doesn't do anything you don't do. It doesn't do it exactly. It can't. It's fucking shadow. It's (laughs) an estimation. But you are actively choosing to move. And so that moves too. But if you go up a dimension from the third to the fourth, there is a version of you that exists through all of time in your lifetime. So from the moment you're born to the moment you die, there's some sort of snake in a higher dimension that's every moment, starts small at one time, gets bigger and then gets small again, and vanishes into nothing. And that's your entire timeline. Now, as that moves, so do you. And as you move, so does the shadow. But you're just, you're not your whole timeline. You're just a moment. You're a shadow. You're a shadow now to that. And that's choosing to do everything, but kind of you are too. And sort of the shadow too, it's just a different look of how you're trying to do things. The shadow isn't not you. It's totally, it's hundred percent you. And Mm -hmm. so is that snake at the higher dimension. And if you follow that snake to the next one, then you have a million different beginnings. Uh, I mean, one beginning that branches off into how many different timelines. So you just got what, like a sphere with a bunch of snakes coming out of it. They all have the same starting point, but all the different possibilities you could have taken. Now, each one of those snakes is connected to that one thing. It's still... The same thing, but when you look at the one snake, you're just looking at the one snake. It's a shadow, an estimate, a part of it, and you're just a small part of the snake, and the shadow is just a small part of you. The character is the same thing. It's a small part of you. The actions reflect your actions. The behaviors reflect your behaviors. And the same way you can decide, I'm going to go walk to the store. The shadow didn't decide to walk to the store. You did, but kind of also so did the shadow
0: hmm yeah i almost think about it like we've discussed i think with um it might have been the hermetic principles we discussed on your show but i think it was basically the water sort of idea and maybe it's sort of the you who uh is in this physical realm let's say the version this is you're um I kind of think of it like your, let's call it a soul just for ease because it's the easiest way to kind of rationalize it in in a way. Your soul is a 100% you in air quotes. What makes you, you? It's your personality and all that sort of jazz. When it's inside of you, this meat vessel, you can only actually convey about 80%, maybe if that as an argument, 80% of how you're feeling, who you are, what you are in a lot of ways. You know, I'd probably argue it's even less than that, but let's say 80. And the other 20 is just the thoughts that no one else, even if you tell them, they can never fully understand or comprehend. So you think, okay, well, so your meat vessel is only 80%-ish of what you kind of want to show. And each method of communication is, is then another fragmented amount of that. So say when you text someone, it then becomes only 20% of what you know that person is from you. And you could say, in a sense, the different versions of yourself, like in video games, they take a portion of that. So when you play Grand Theft Auto and things, if that character is it's got different attributes and things and a different reality, because obviously it can go around and it can die and then respawn immediately and things like that. It's got this sort of infinite life thing in a way. And it's being controlled by a, like a dilution, a dilution of yourself, like a droplet of your water of yeah. personality into that vessel to kind of make it work. And it's interesting to think like, um, this is one thing that baffles me that I haven't heard religion talk about at, as much, or more so the mainstream religions or ones that we hear over here as much, is thinking, why couldn't someone just say, that's God? And that little droplet that becomes your soul that is your personality. You are just a... God has every conceivable personality type and interest and everything. He is just this big pool of absolutely everything that could ever be conceived. And you are just bits and pieces of that kind of dropped out into this meat vessel. And that's what kind of makes you you. You're just these random droplets of the universe
1: to make you, you like a hundred percent. And I like that, uh, that visual of you sort of being the soul of your character, because in reality, that's exactly what's going on, right? Like you can only do as much as the universe you're inhabiting allows you to. Mm -hmm. So let's say you're playing Michael in GTA. You can't go up to Franklin and be like, Bro, I'm in a higher dimension. That's impossible because the game doesn't have those mechanics even built in. Hmm. That's the same way I can't walk up to you and be like, this is what the real me looks like, man. Because I don't even know what the real me looks like. Does your character in GTA know what you, the player looks like? Or is that an idea that isn't even in their mind? They couldn't comprehend something higher than them. They think everything they're doing is them, but it's you and really you're just their soul. The same way that we are just a small part of something bigger, kind of funneling into us. Mm. It's a very interesting visual to assume that we are the soul of something smaller, because that is to say that there is something bigger that is the soul of us. And as above, so below, I'm sure God sits somewhere questioning, is there something higher than me?
0: Mm. Yeah, because I always feel like, in regards to the idea of God and things, I, I think I've said to you before, just my general idea is just the entire universe is just this consciousness of energy and we're all just a part of that consciousness of energy i don't believe it's a you know a white dude in the sky with a beard who is you know thinking things are good and bad and made the universe and or the world um, solar system in seven days anything like that i just think there is this almost unconscious consciousness like the consciousness of the universe is not necessarily self-aware it's just made up of every living being's consciousness within it and it just kind of makes this big network of of consciousness happen and that's how energy is kind of spread that's what air quotes life is is just air quotes life the difference between a tree for example and say a rock is that even though the rock's got sort of you know microbes within it into sort of smaller ways the level of consciousness is not got as much of that in air quotes that universal water that that energy of dilution of whatever that is and that could be energy that could be life and that's kind of vaguely how I kind of see it, in a way. I don't know why I keep doing a lot of water things today. So well, uh,
1: it's it's a really good metaphor, especially because the hermetic principles and uh, Hinduism kind of do that. The whole the 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 collective energy is the ocean. Precipitation makes us clouds, which would be demigods, angels, and these sort of transcendent things we could fathom but not understand. And then that rains down. The water drops are independent perspectives, which is us until we die and rejoin the ocean to just repeat the cycle forever. It's never not one thing, but it kind of is all at the same time. It's weird that we're many water drops because in under that idea, I'm no different than you. We're the same person. We're just two different perspectives of the same consciousness Mm. exploring possibilities. But now it's interesting to think that because what stops that entire water system from itself being a single water drop if you zoom out far enough. So it's trapped within a bubble of its own where there is an ocean, there are clouds and there are water drops and that's our entire ecosystem. But if you the away, that's just one bubble and you see billions of bubbles that are their own oceans, own clouds and own water drops coming down. And then you back far enough from that and then you again have a bubble containing all those bubbles and you could do this forever with seemingly anything. Hmm. At what point do we say that that is its own thing and that's a different thing over there rather than everything is one?
0: Because hmm. it's, it's also, if you think about it, when people, you know, some people are listening, they may be finding it hard to visualize. But if you do it in, in the reverse, you think if you go down to microscopic levels, the world, if, if anyone has seen the film um, Ant Man and the Wasp, is probably the most recent one I can think of, um, which is there's a point where um, Ant Man goes down to. Uh, Oh, what's the word? Subatomic. Subatomic, that's the word. And he sees tardigrades and things like that. And the world is this strange, bizarre reality, but you can go even smaller than that. And in Ant-Man, he goes into the, the fractal realm and things like that. And it's like that whole idea of if you go small enough, you can go into universes that you couldn't comprehend existing. And they have different rules to their sort of realities. And who's to say that we're just not one of those magnifications? Like if you zoom out enough... The, what you would think that life is in air quotes or what the the true universe is you wouldn't think it's people or humans or anything like that you would just think oh it's planets and stars but if you zoom yeah. out further you think oh it's just made of galaxies like depending on where the microscope like an ant doesn't perceive the world as inhabited by humans necessarily they yeah. view it as their own world
1: interesting interesting because uh, there's a couple of things about that first if you become micro uh, subatomic right you become subatomic and say this is your new normal is there subatomic is there something subatomic compared to you at this new normal? Mm-hmm. And there should be. There should always be. It probably called something different. And also, Ant Man would have died because he's smaller than air particles. But that's a whole other different I argument. That. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a whole other argument. The fact that tardigrades weren't microscopic but rather subatomic—that's also another problem. That... <laughs> but let's ignore all the discrepancies happening there. If he became subatomic, there should, in theory, be a subatomic to that and Mm -hmm. if he were to become that subatomic would that again have something subatomic and then this also goes back to how we uh, ended up describing good and evil which is there's just a center point that you're labeling shit that's really what it comes down to you're saying left and right but that's just direction (laughs) and if you get small enough you'll notice that okay you you there's a solid table and that table is one thing there's a solid rock, and that rock is one thing. But you become subatomic, and you realize that's not one thing. That's billions and trillions of smaller things. And if you were to then zoom into those, those are billions. So you get to the atom, and then you zoom in. What do you get? You get Higgs boson particles. Like, okay. (laughs) But that's the smallest we can see right now. Mm -hmm. If we could see smaller, would that just be composed of a bunch of other shit? And is then everything just many things or is everything just one like if we zoom out are we can we even see ourselves on earth from far enough no it's just a planet it's just that is one thing and if you don't know there's life you just think of that planet as a one as a singular thing it's just one thing but then you zoom in and realize holy crap it's made up of a bunch of shit (laughs) you zoom in again well those shits are made up of a bunch of shit you can do that for all forever in every direction bigger or small as above so below
0: Mm. I think one of the reasons I find and is bouncing off something specific you said there is, I think one of the reasons that you know we live in is the reality we live in. It's um, is it four D or five D? 5D? Is five Ds parallel, isn't it? So it's four D. Is that
1: yeah? Four D I think is the uh the, the current up to uh, counting time. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So with that sort of in mind, I, we let's argue that we can we only have senses that we can sort of measure and comprehend <clears throat> that check through four D space in a sense one thing that kind of made me think of that is the reason humans need a scale as you say is like a point like the way we know things are small and the way things are big is because we in our minds almost draw a line in the middle and put smaller ones on the left and bigger ones on the right or whatever yes. how you do it. and we do that with everything we were doing it with the political discussion the left and the right we've somehow made political ideas move to the left or the right of this imaginary line like every concept of good and evil neutral being in the middle like everything we need a scale for and i wonder if that's because our actual the senses we have aren't capable of thinking without the need for a scale. And maybe that's what the sort of the next level of either human uh, evolution is in millions and millions of years or whatever and becoming beings that inhabit space, maybe even outside of time and things like that, or just outside of this, the, the meat vessels we have. To transcend that, we would need senses capable of reading and measuring and understanding higher levels of space. And maybe that's one of the reasons is because we need that sort of, that line to comprehend where left and right of things are because we can't comprehend things in a different way of looking at it or feeling it.
1: Yeah, a hundred percent. I can prove your statement true right now. If you removed the line between you and I, what do you have? It's impossible to grasp it, right? (laughs) Like if we say that we're not two different individuals, how do you visualize the fact that we do see each other as different individuals because we our senses are limited they they can only see us as different individuals but we know that's inaccurate if you go up enough dimensions it just kind of all meets at the top somewhere and we don't even have to max out going up I think in like the seventh we meet up and so the question would be why is it impossible for us to even comprehend I can you you just said it I can say it out loud and still, not have a mental image of what the middle ground between you and I would even look like. What does that mean exactly? It's a weird thing that we can't even conceive of, although physics itself tells us that's the case. String theory for a fact, not even talking hermetic principles, not discussing spiritualism, not talking Buddhism, not talking Hinduism, science, string theory says, you go up high enough, everything meets. So why can't I think of what it looks like if we take the line out?
0: I feel like maybe the reason, a way that I kind of visualize being unable to visualize things is almost, and it works well with the term thought bubble. If you think of a thought bubble as in like an actual literal bubble and you're standing in the middle of it, you can kind of just, you can look around everything that's inside of the bubble, but your vision gets to the end of the bubble, to the edge, but you don't, you can't actually see the edge of the bubble. You can kind of, you see like this, if you stand in, if you're somehow standing magically in the middle of an actual, like bubble made out of, you know, soap or whatever, you look around and it'd be hard to see the edges. You would just kind of see this odd curvature almost of your vision. And you'd look all around in this, in this bubble, but you wouldn't, if you try and move forward and the bubble moves with you, you could never go any further than that. And that's almost what I think humans, how they think, how we, we, how they think, how we think I am one. (laughs) I'm an alien. That's uh, that's it guys. That's actually. uh, I feel feel like you've
1: revealed yourself inadvertently.
0: (laughs) Exactly. Quick. We can't tell them. Skate over it. Um, Yeah. So like thinking in a thought bubble, I think that that idea like quite spherical is quite, it seems to be quite common in a lot of, things to do with humans how we visualize stuff so i wonder if that's kind of our own senses are this bubble around us which make us be able to perceive things in our immediate vicinity but actually do prevent us from seeing beyond the horizon
1: well then i have two interesting points to make off of that first your description of the thought bubble is exactly how the universe functions get on a rocket ship and start moving forward tell me you're not always at the center of wherever you're moving and that there's always only the same distance of view in every direction the literal perceptive bubble surrounds the perceiver. You can only see this much forward and no matter how far you get, that is always the case. And you don't really see the edge, but you somehow see the back in front of you. And that's how the universe behaves. We call that the microwave background radiation and we see it. And no matter how far we get, we're still seeing the back and the front simultaneously in front of us. And that works in every direction. It doesn't matter where we go. We go far enough. It's the same shit, no matter where we go. Now, I find it interesting that as you're talking about it, and this is specifically calling you an alien at this point, Mm -hmm. where you, in thinking of consciousness and thought and how the universe works independent of identity, you subconsciously enter a space in which even the concept of human is other. It's the other thing. Mm. And that's because that's the more natural state. The more natural state, if you if you're not actively thinking me, I, but you're just thinking in the void of what thought is, you start kind of losing that self of identity. That's what meditation does essentially. That's what LSD and DMT, these drugs that strip you of the filters you were programmed with as you are being raised. They remove all those things so that that me, that I, sort of fades to the background. And when people get into, let's say you're writing, let's say you're painting. You sort of lose the me, the I, while you're doing it. You enter this flow state. I'm sure you've heard that a million times, flow state. Mm-hmm. You lose identity, and now you're just kind of present, doing a thing that doesn't require even knowing your memories. You don't think of anything. You're not, it's just a thing that's happening almost without you, but using you as the vessel to make it happen. And so, in your thinking about this, without attaching yourself to it, you kind of almost removed yourself from it and entered a more pure state of thought, where it was just the thought of what is thought minus the physical presence generating the thought you you that that goes to say you believe consciousness is independent of the brain
0: mm, it's also interesting that the thought bubble shape, as well I was thinking of was. Vaguely, the shape of a brain, almost being on the inside and looking around, of that sort of vague, sort of brainy shape. But yeah, consciousness in the brain, it, it's such a weird thing. I, I almost feel like it's, I've heard this before, this sort of idea is almost like the brain is kind of an antenna in a sense. Yeah. And it's more so that, you know, the, the air, in air quotes, almost the consciousness of the universe. If, if you, another way of trying to do analogies and visualize it, if you had two halves of, let's say, magic, this, I'm talking about like a God level doing this, you're two halves of a brain that didn't work. When you push them together, they work, but you think of them as they're hollow. And then as you clump them together, it catches just universal consciousness that's just around us, that it just exists in energy and all kinds of things. You just clasp these two halves together and it becomes... That's consciousness that's what it, it is And so I feel like you know with the the idea of kind of separating itself from it in that sort of realm I feel like it is almost <laughs> your brain has almost caught the consciousness in a way that's almost what it is it's just the consciousness can be almost flowing through you and when you speak about flow states one of the easiest way because some people may not be able to understand or visualize uh flow states you you described it perfectly but some people may not and even the most simple flow state is talking like right we're having this conversation i'm not thinking about having to say the words that i am saying the thoughts are coming in and then my mouth is saying the thoughts i'm not Consciously yeah, having yeah, to process yeah. and do that, and that's a really, really simple flow state. But obviously, when you do get into it fully, and you get into actual, true what people call flow states, and the actual thing, because that was more of an analogy for so people could understand it more. Because I've done it with playing video games, or playing music, or doing certain things. You, as you see you you don't realize you're even doing the thing; you just do it. There's it's, it's autonomous in a sense, and it's it's that sort of. It just feels like the rhythm of what you're doing is flowing through you
1: yeah like you've uh, st- it's no longer a choice you're making it's just something that it's automatic your your body is sort of i got what to do to let it move fluidly because if you try to control it then suddenly there's like a halt but i love something you said there that i've never thought about in my life and you said you put two different things together to sort of end up with consciousness this actually goes really nice with something you said earlier which i never thought about before, to say that the universe is just energy, right? So let's divide that and say there is infinite energy and there is random chaotic matter. And that we would, in theory, move if the energy was gone, except there would be no perceiver. And there's no such thing as consciousness. There's energy... And there's matter. And if I wasn't conscious, I'd be moving around. I'd be having this conversation, but there wouldn't be a conscious mind here thinking I'm talking to you. There would just be a conversation happening that's completely meaningless, even if the words are identical. You wouldn't be seeing it. I wouldn't be seeing it. Now, that energy plus the vessel equal consciousness, but the energy by itself is just energy that doesn't perceive. And the vessel itself is a vessel that doesn't perceive but together they're conscious. How fascinating. I've never thought about that. Hmm. It's a very interesting visual to say, because I guess the universe works in that way. Nothing is singular. Everything has to come in pairs, but also that pair is just the one thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's really weird. Polarity only exists in things that are singular. And that's complicated. Again, we draw a line. And so we have two different things, but they're just the same one thing. But they're two things, and that's a really weird contrast because energy, physicality, put together, equals consciousness.
0: And that's the end of part one. Thanks as always for tuning in, guys. As I said in the intro, part two will be out next week on the usual time on this very feed. But if you really would like to, you can check out both parts on Patreon right now in one full episode. For clarity, my Patreon has its own exclusive feed. And on that feed is going to have the Afterthoughts episodes, which episode one is already out and episode two will be out shortly. As well as this whole conversation that me and Jack had is uncut. So there's, I mean, obviously I edited out like if I coughed or tapped the mic or something but the whole thing is in one go as well so you get a whole smooth conversation that's nearing two hours long so if that's something interests you go check it out I really appreciate anyone willing just to look at the Patreon just to see what you think it is at patreon.com slash chat, so nice and easy but the link is in the description and as well as the Afterthoughts show as well as unsplit full length episodes of this there's also going to be additional photos on there I've been taking photos of my some of my collectibles the comics I'm reading my tortoise because that's a lot of fun I've also put up the future guest list on there which is showing the episodes that are coming out for the next few weeks that are guaranteed as well as some other guests who are going to be on the show at some point but we haven't specifically set a date yet. So you can get a look at basically what's to come in genuine chit-chat. There'll be no splitting of part one and part two, and you get additional content as well. And a lot of these things, there are three tiers on there, which I'm not going to go into all the details of the tiers on there, so you can go check that out yourselves. But for even the lowest tier, which is, as I said, two pound or three dollars a month, you will get access to part one and part two of the episodes, as in part two being early, as well as the Afterthoughts new show. So, You don't have to give a lot of money if you would like to. It really does help support the show because as I put on my Patreon and as I've said here, this podcast does actually cost me money. Now, it is a passion of love and I'm fine for it to cost me money because that's why I do it, not because for any other reason. But I just thought if people want additional content and want to help me not cost myself money every month because it costs about £25 a month to get this show running with uh, Zoom Pro and with uh, posting on hosting on Podbean, you know, it's about 25 quid there or thereabouts. It's not a big cost to me. I can afford it, but I just thought two birds, one stone. You guys get to support the show and you get more content for it. So if that's what you fancy, go check that out. And I also just wanted to take this opportunity to say a very big thank you to three patrons who have started supporting the show already before even a full-length episode of this show has been out, but they have managed to get the first episode of the Afterthoughts series, which I'll be uploading another episode of that soon. So I just want to say thank you to Margaret Green, thank you to Tony Farina of Indie Comics Spotlight, and thank you to Frank Burton of Philistine Press slash the Ragbag Podcast. All three of you have made me incredibly happy, and I thank you so much for your generous support and I really hope you guys enjoy the additional content anyway I did also want to mention as well that when you guys tune in for part two I will say at the start of the episode uh, there's a slight trigger warning and um, there's an example that I actually use which is about rape now we don't go into detail specifically about the act of being raped or anything like that but we use it as an example talking about sort of abstract ideas and good and evil and you know really horrendous unforgiving things can cause stuff which may be considered to be a net positive things like that it is quite a dark line of thinking and we do in the conversation mention it's a dark line of thinking and clarify that sort of things but i want to make sure that people are aware just in case uh, they have any prior issues with that sort of thing and sexual assault i don't want to just spring that on them and things Uh, so that is a small part of the conversation as i said i think it's towards the start we talk about about it for about five or ten minutes as a concept uh, before the conversation does go elsewhere so i just want to flag that up to you guys as well so aside from that really i've got a podcast due for recording on monday with a very interesting individual but as i said on here i don't really like to say who it is unless they're a returning guest, just in case it jinx it um but she is an ex porn star essentially there's a lot more to her than that the mental health advocate um an advocate for cannabis and psychedelic medicines and things an overall really really interesting individual that i've been wanting to talk to for a while um and then as well as that there's several other people. There's an artist who's going to be coming on the show who has quite a unique brand of rap uh, as well as a returning guest of a friend of mine, Steve. Uh, Steve is Superheroes for Dummies. He came on when I spoke to BZ about his Green Lantern fan film and then also there's another individual who we're going to be speaking to who's got another DC fan film about a different character as well as this individual who is an artist in rap with a very different sort of stance on it and things. So Steve is coming on quite a few times in the next few weeks so (laughs) look out for that. Uh, In addition to that, there are quite a few things in the pipeline there's going to be hopefully another star wars content creator coming on the show uh, there's also a few other people i've kind of reached out to and we're going to kind of go from there um, but if you want the specific details of that as i said you can check it out on patreon uh, if you want to get in contact with me in any way you can find me on social media at genuine chit chat on instagram twitter and on facebook uh, and as well as that i've also got my other show which is star wars comics and canon just before i go into that i realized i want to mention again i appeared on the just conversation podcast episode 4.09 uh, it was out on the 26th of September 2020 and if you liked part 1 of this chat, you don't want to pay on Patreon for part 2, you're happy to wait but you want to hear something else about that same sort of thing, you can go over to the Just Conversations podcast and listen to mine and Jack's conversation, it's about 2 hours and a bit long I think and we talk about this general idea but we talk about God, universe, divinity existence, that sort of thing so make sure you go check that out as well and as I said finally is the my other podcast which is Star Wars Comics in Canon and that is on the feed of Comics in Motion and the most recent episode I just did was actually a Rogue One sequel comic. So Han, Luke, and Leia all go to Jeddah, and they speak with a character called Benthic, who's also known as Two Tubes, who features in Rogue One, and is also in Solo, a Star Wars story, right at the end with Emphasis Nest and the Cloud Riders. And I've taken some photos of that. I want to clarify that with Star Wars comics in canon, I will be uploading photos, or I've already uploaded photos of them. I try and upload photos of the comics I'm tackling on the day of release, which is Saturdays. Sometimes I miss it, and it ends up being on a Sunday so apologies for that what I've also started doing is when I uh, take the photos on my phone which I normally take on sort of Wednesday or Thursday I'm now going to be uploading them to Patreon as well a little bit early so if you also want to see photos of Star Wars comics early if you're a big Star Wars fan and things and you want to get an insight of what the next episode of Star Wars are going to be about and things you can check that out too so it's all sort of Patreon is just early access as well as the exclusive show That that's relatively speaking what Patreon is all about um, but yeah with the Star Wars comics and canon as well there's loads of other things that I've tackled on there there's the Doctor Afro comics there's the Star Wars main run of comics there's the Age of Rebellion comics which are one shots based on certain characters I'm doing a TIE Fighter miniseries comic soon Sh- shortly I will have tackled all the Star Wars miniseries and all the Star Wars one shots for the Marvel run and the canon comics because obviously Star Wars comics in canon so i'll have tackled all of them and then i'll be just be tackling some of the ongoing series like the second run of vader comics because i already tackled the first uh, eventually when i finish the main run of star wars then there's going to be the second run of Afra, the third run of vader the second run of star wars comics the bounty hunter series as well as the high republic series so there's lots of different things to be able to sink my teeth into and also i'm going to have more conversations and things about star wars which i'll probably post both on genuine chit chat and on star wars comics and canon but we will see how that goes i always want to clarify by that at some point in march there's going to be a roundtable snyder cut justice league discussion which i think i'm going to be hosting it's going to be myself and from what i can tell chris and dave of comics in motion steve once again of the Superheroes for dummies podcast and i think max Byrne of the mandatory marvel and dc podcast which all of those podcasts i just mentioned are found on the feed of comics in motion along with Star Wars comics and canon and that conversation will likely be posted both on here on genuine chit chat and also on Comics in motion. So that is pretty much enough for me. I think, guys, I've to my own horn for so long in this outro thing. I'm kind of running out of breath almost. But I just want to say to you guys, uh, thank you so much for always listening to the show. I really appreciate everyone willing to check out the show. And I know I've had a few new listeners and things recently due to interactions on social media and seeing the numbers and things. So, all, anyone who is new to listening to the show, I just want to say thank you for giving the show a go. I do. It, it means the world to me for anyone just listening to the show. And although I have just launched a Patreon, and I, you know, you get my undying love. One of the Patreon perks is that you get my undying love if you become a patron. And although I do appreciate I think out of time recording this, I've got a few people on there right now who've already donated some money, which means the absolute world to me. But if anyone else wants to donate that's even more incredible and it's just it's taken me back really it's, it's just incredible it makes me so happy but if you don't want to fear not i still appreciate you just the same you are all appreciated listening to this and i just want to say thank you for not only listening to the show getting me to be able to have you know guest spots on other people's podcasts and talk to people like jack but also being able to be such amazing listeners to even allow me to consider trying to do a patreon uh, because like a year ago i wouldn't have even considered anyone <laughs> would give me any money for doing this show that obviously i do for free well my two shows (laughs) i do for free and things and maybe some of the patreon costs if it goes over the 25 pound i spend that will cover some of the costs for my star wars comics and things so yeah anyway um as i said guys just thank you i appreciate all of you i hope that while it's middle of february and everything's a bit still crazy with covid and lockdown and stuff i hope you guys are staying safe are doing okay and i hope that conversations like this one today kind of help distract you a little bit in some ways so yeah I'm going to go now, guys. Thank you, as always. I'll be back next week with part two. And if you are a Patreon supporter, you'll have already listened to part two, no doubt. Uh, But you will also be getting the Afterthoughts episodes. So check out those. Thanks, as always, guys. And I'll talk to you next week.